Would you bow with me for prayer, please? God, our source of nourishment and refreshment, our vine of comfort and peace, our root of inspiration and encouragement, we do not come to your house only to receive, though we marvel at each gift we are given. We want to be fruitful in your service. So fill us now with your Holy Spirit that when we leave this place, we will be constantly on the move for you. But at the same time, keep us so close to your heavenly presence that we may draw our sustenance from you as easily as we draw breath from the air around us, energy from spiritual food always before us, and wisdom from your word we carry with us. In fact, we ask these things in the name of your word, who walks beside us, alive forevermore. Amen. Friends, if I have not told you about Grand before, um, please get ready. Uh, this is going to be the first of many Grandisms. Uh, I had one of those grandmothers that was quotable all the time. And I loved her, and she loved me, and we talk about her all the time. And one of my favorite grandisms was what she used to say to adolescent boys that she thought had lain too long upon the couch. She would look at such a boy, it was usually me, and say, boy, get up and do something, even if it's wrong. Get up and do something, even if it's wrong. I thought of that as I was reading this week one of my favorite passages of the Bible. This story about the Ethiopian eunuch is literally one of my very favorite passages. And I've gotten excited about sharing it with you today because I think this is a resurrection church story, if ever there was one. This one has drama. Its characters are on the move. It has an angel. Now, it must be an Easter story if it has an angel in it. The line between heaven and earth is thinner. It gets blurrier when the risen Christ is around, right? And it has as a primary character a powerful, educated, rich person from Africa whose gender identity is ambiguous. Now this is a story. This one's for us. I love the fact that this story broadened my own horizons when I was a kid. When I grew up as a white kid in South Georgia, there was not a lot of literature about powerful, rich, educated African people to be heard. And it is only in our generation that the wisdom of Africa has begun to be put to paper. In Eastern literature, of which the Bible is a great example, and Western literature, uh, there are not that many examples of powerful African people, of powerful black people or people of color. Uh, and I've learned as a kid that such a thing existed at Sunday school. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. Now, my poor teachers at school didn't know quite what to do with that. They had one agenda, I had another, God had yet another, but that was all right, it worked out in the end. 
here was this picture of this powerful black man. Uh, and it moved me. It changed my worldview to see that this was a person that God wanted to use to change the world. Now let's back up and catch up a little bit. How do I know that he was powerful, rich, educated, and all of those things? Well, first of all, we know that he was the treasurer to the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Ethiopia was not in those days as it is today. Today we think of Ethiopia and our mind goes, unfortunately, to famine and hunger and poverty. It's almost become synonymous with those words in our mind. But at the time that Luke was writing this history book called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Ethiopia was one of the strongest nations on the earth and one of the wealthiest. And its queen controlled one of the grandest fortunes that had ever been amassed. And the treasurer of the Candace, the queen, was the person who got to manipulate that money. And so he was a very powerful man indeed. And he was a eunuch. A person who, whether by accident, uh, at birth, or in childhood, or as an adult, or by design, had been castrated. The eunuchs were important people in royal courts because they were safe. If you're worried about your royal bloodline, you surround yourself with people who don't have a bloodline anymore. And so this person had taken what may or may not have been for him a horrible situation and turned it into a blessing. He had been given an opportunity to, to learn mathematics, which he must have known if he was the treasurer. And we know that he could read because we find him reading in the book that we, or the story that we've just heard. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. And uh, this was something that set him apart from virtually everyone else in society. Reverend Michael taught us very well a few Wednesday nights ago about what it was like uh, during Jesus' day. Uh, in those times, 2% of the people in the world controlled all of the wealth in the world. 2%. And the rest of us, the other 98%, all had to find on a daily basis what we were going to eat and what to wear and where to live. So this man was an enormously wealthy and powerful person, educated and with money. And we know that also because he controlled his own time. Now I ask you, you and I are wealthier just because we get up in America every day than 85% of the people in the rest of the world. The poorest among us, when we put our feet on the ground in the United States of America each day, have it better off, no matter how bad we may feel, than 85% of the rest of the people in the world. But do you control your own time do you control your own time? Do you feel wealthy in the way this man was? He got to choose where to travel on his vacation. And a lot of us don't have that luxury. He chose to travel to Jerusalem. 
because he had been a student of the book of the Hebrews. He had been reading the Hebrew scriptures, and he had found in those scriptures two ideas that had moved him uh, so much that he wanted to take his vacation time and to take the very dangerous journey, even in a chariot while everybody else walked, this is how rich he was, from the Horn of Africa up through Egypt, through Gaza, and across the desert uh, road up to Jerusalem. He wanted to worship the God of Israel, this God that wanted a personal relationship with his creatures or her creatures. He wanted to worship the God that had a temple that was supposed to be a house for all nations. He wanted to worship a God who talked always about liberation and freedom and how to move from oppression to liberation. Even he who was probably responsible for the oppression of a great many people back home had gotten the light in his eye that came from reading those holy texts. And he had made this dangerous journey to Jerusalem. Now what Luke knew when he wrote the story and what his listeners in his congregation would have known have been forgotten over the years. What I need to tell you today to catch us up on the story is that when he got to the temple, that Ethiopian eunuch, he wasn't allowed in. He was barred admission from the temple. First, because he wasn't a Jew. Non-Jews didn't get to go into the temple. Only male Jews got to go into the inner sanctum. There was an outer court for women, a court outside of that for visitors to the city. Uh, but the eunuch because he was literally cut off from the future by his castration, was not allowed even to come into the court of the Gentiles, even to enter the gates around the temple. He had made this long journey and gotten there and knocked and knocked and knocked on the door until his knuckles were bloody. But nobody would let him in. And now he's on the return trip home. He's on that trip home a great many of us have made from a failed dream. That's a long ride home. And yet, burning within him was that fire that had been set by his reading of the scriptures. He couldn't turn loose of the idea that there was something new about this God, something different about this religion that, that was worth holding on to. So even in his anger and his hurt, he's pulled out the scroll. This is how rich he is. He owns his own book. He's pulled out the scroll and is reading again in Isaiah. When up beside the chariot runs Philip. <laughs> now, friends... Imagine that seed. Chariot, right? Philip. <laughs> what are you going to do with Philip? Philip has received in our story the kind of call that many of us receive. Did you notice that he was called in a direction but not to a destination. 
He was called to walk down the road toward Gaza. He wasn't called to go to Gaza. Now, Gaza is a lovely place. I have been to Gaza. And I can tell you it is a place of great hardship. Some other day we will talk about those issues. But it is a beautiful city on the Mediterranean. A city worth visiting. And I hope someday that the world will change. And that all of you can go if you'd like to go and be with those beautiful people in that beautiful place. But the road between Gaza and Jerusalem is a bad road. Now I have traveled on desert roads that I loved to travel. The succulents and the cacti and the beautiful colors and the canyons and all of that. I, I read Texas highways, you know. I, I, I know a beautiful desert road when I see one. The road from Jerusalem to Gaza is not one. This is a bad stretch of road. It is a long, slow slope down through barren, beige desert. Nothing but sand and rock as far as you can see. Freezing in the wintertime, blistering in the summertime. You would have to be crazy or touched by an angel to decide to walk down the road to Gaza without knowing where you were going. But Philip had gotten that kind of a call and he responded to the call. Now I envy Philip the clarity of his call. I do. I wish on many occasions that a good-sized angel would show up in my office back there and tell me what to do. And it doesn't happen very often. Uh, not yet. So I have a little envy for, for Philip in that moment. But it's still Philip's choice what he does with that call. Because when the angel is gone, Philip is still facing that road. And it's a bad stretch of road. And he decided to set out and go. And so here is the scene from Philip's point of view. He is walking down this very dusty road, dry. And he hears a commotion behind him. He's walking south and now this chariot carrying the Ethiopian treasurer is coming behind him. And the chariot would have been very noisy. The rattle of the hooves of the horses and the calling of the driver. The big dust cloud around him. And Philip steps off the side of the road at which point the spirit of the living God says to him attach yourself to that chariot. Now, you all know I love to read the Bible and put in all the parts that are left out. Right here, I just believe, Philip said, say what? <laughs> <laughs> this, is like, this is like you and me riding, uh, walking uh, alone on a farm road in Texas. And P. Diddy Combs... <laughs> comes behind us in his big black limousine and we start hollering, hey, uh, uh, hey, let me in. <laughs> Wonder what the response would be. Not just from P. Diddy, but from the guards and the, right? That's the situation we're looking at. This is a crazy story. This is a resurrection story if ever there was one. 
attach yourself to that chariot. And he does. He just runs up and jumps on the running board and starts listening to this very powerful man read from the prophet Isaiah. And what he is reading are those poignant words. All about humiliation and exclusion. And he says, who, 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 who is this about? Phillips asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I when there's nobody to explain it to me? That's the poignancy of the moment. That's the rest of the story from back in Jerusalem where he's tried to get in and they wouldn't let him. How can I know if no one will explain it to me? And Philip sat with him and explained, beginning with that scripture, and went through all of the scriptures explaining how Jesus the Christ fulfills all of the duties of Messiah, Redeemer, Reconciler, Savior. And in that moment, that eunuch decided he wanted to be like Christ. He wanted to be a part of that family that he'd felt invited to when he'd read the Hebrew scriptures and that seemed so much embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And they passed over a little stream of water. Now, friends, I have been on this road. It must not have been much of a stream. To all of you old Baptists out there, I apologize. But there was enough water in the stream to get the work done of bringing that eunuch into the holy family that he's never left and that he took then to new progeny after him. The tradition of the church is that this eunuch went back to Ethiopia and founded the Ethiopian Christian church which predated the western colonial version that Europeans tried to foist onto Africa later on. It is an indigenous and beautiful thing, all about people in community loving Jesus and each other and finding their own way together. That's the Ethiopian church. And that's what happened as a result of this. The first Christian convert, the first convert of the new, brand new Christian church was a black transgender person. Amen. Y'all are afraid to death I'm not going to turn all these pages, aren't you? <laughs> Friends, let that sink in to your soul. The first convert to the church, the one who started it all, was a black eunuch, a black trans person. And on that foundation has been built the church universal. Now, you and I are going to be called upon on a daily basis to do a lot of weird and strange things together Amen. if we're going to be following Jesus Christ. Because the living Christ does things like calling you to attach yourself to chariots of people you don't know. And to cross race and class and all kinds of barriers to get there. And to do it in places that are unfamiliar. Not on 11th Street all the time. Not on T.C. Jester. But we're going to find some farm roads. You know, We're going to find some back alley places where young people 
trans young people, gay young people, are crying out for inclusion in God's family. Will you go with me into those roads? Will you go? If we're going, we're going to have to come here first to this table. This table is the source for us. Our metaphors are mixed in our lessons today. The, the, the Acts lessons talking about being on the move and going, and the gospel lessons all about hanging on to the vine, right? But we can handle more than one thing at a time, can't we? We can hold two different ideas in our heads. This table is the source for us of our sustenance, of our strength, of our courage, our wisdom, our love when we can't find any of our own. We come here and we are rejuvenated for the, for the movement to go out from here and to do the work of Christ. We would not come here and just hoard all the soul food to ourselves. That would be selfish. That's not how resurrection people act. We come here and we are fed and then we go out to invite others to hear the good news that God loves you unconditionally. And it, we don't have to take this with us in any way other than spiritually. Because our God, no matter how dusty the road, will provide water along the way. Amen? Amen. Amen.